today are continuing our series on stewardship. And uh, this, the, the tagline to this series has been the war to honor God with what he has entrusted to us. We've got today and I believe two more weeks to conclude this series. And uh, it, is, it is a war to honor God with what he has entrusted to us. The baseline of stewardship, as we said every week, and we spent the, the introductory week talking about stewardship, is stewardship defined means that we, we are handling somebody else's resources. Uh, and so stewardship is handling responsibly what is the resource that belongs belongs to somebody else. And what we have to understand before any other concept that we talk about in stewardship is everything that we have is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, David at the end of 1 Chronicles says it uh, repetitively and so beautifully. He, he talks about uh, that everything that we have, it came from God first. Anything that we're able to possess, anything we're able to give, anything we're able to contribute and to build, it was God's first. And he says that just like our ancestors before us, we have a season of time where we get to own, we we have, we have possession, we have management of resources, but then we die and it gets left behind. That's uh, It's not ours forever. We just have a season of time where God allows us, no matter how little or how much, we get to steward what is already his. And stewardship means I'm gonna responsibly handle this the way that the owner would like me to. So what we have, it's God's first. How do we handle this well? How do we go to war against what our flesh wants, what culture and society is saying, and how do we honor him? Uh, this is a series that is not about getting money from you, and it's not about mo getting money to you. It is about honoring God with what he's given us. Uh, the Bible is full of warnings, and it's full of wisdom. It's full of insight on how we should properly handle our resources. We've talked about when the Israelites in the Old Testament, the most extensive teaching on finances comes from uh, these, these Israelites who spent 400 years in slavery, wandered in the wilderness for another generation. And God says, before you ever experience what it means to have possessions, I want to teach you these principles. So God tells them how to manage their, their resources responsibly, how to contribute to the the work of God, how to save and prepare for the days ahead, how to be generous. He lays out all these financial principles uh, and there's wisdoms and warnings. So we've defined what stewardship is. We talked about greed, which uh, all these other principles have little lasting value if we don't deal with greed in our own hearts. Uh, we coupled that with uh, contentment. And then uh, we talked about making a plan, not just a plan, making a good plan and working that plan, uh, AKA a budget. And uh, we, we've talked from there last week, we talked about tithing and, uh, and you came back. This is great. You're here. You, you, you sustained. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the concept of debt. Um, debt is going to be the topic in our stewardship series today. Uh, so exciting. Yeah, lots of cheers, lots of excitement. We're going to talk about debt and a biblical perspective on debt. Uh, some of you today, we're across the board in finances, how much you have uh, financially, how much debt you have. Some of you today are debt free. Some of you have manageable amounts of debt. Some of you are drowning in debt. Uh, we're all across the board. And uh, today is not uh, about comparing. Today is not uh, about shaming or judging anybody on debt loads. Uh, but today is about getting a biblical view on debt. And how do we respond responsibly? How do we honor God with what he's entrusted to us? And what does debt look like in this eight-week conversation that we're having? Um, debt, by definition, is owing any amount of money to anybody for anything. Uh, this is what debt is. Uh, any amount, anybody, anything. Generally, our debt uh, has agreed uh, terms of repayment, how often you're going to pay, how much you're going to pay, uh, when you're going to pay that off, what the interest rates between now and then are going to look like. 
Uh, debt today comes in many forms. Probably the most common that we are aware of is credit cards, uh, student loans, auto loans, mortgages, home equity lines of credit, medical repayments, personal loans, not to mention uh, back taxes or unpaid child support, criminal fees, traffic or parking tickets, and yes, even past due library fines. Uh, these are all forms. No matter what, what your debt is, if you owe anything to anyone for any reason, that is debt. Uh, it is, it comes in very various forms, various amounts of interest and repayment times. Um, but there is debt that we all can come across opportunities to, to engage with. I want to say this up front. God does not in scripture forbid debt. It's not equated as sinful. Um, but over and over, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Uh, scripture does highly caution against debt, warn about the dangers of debt and generally views debt in a negative light. Maybe it's necessary in certain seasons, but it's generally unwise, specifically consumer debt of just wanting something now instead of thinking ahead, uh, generally unwise. Uh, not labeling debt as sin, but much like the choice of sin, the choice to go into debt for something that I have in front of me right now is choosing short-term fulfillment over long-term wisdom. And uh, this is what sin often looks like. What does my flesh desire now, not what is best for me in the long haul? And debt, similar, not without, without labeling it sin, falls in kind of the same camp. Uh, but I do want to say some debt is not because of poor choices that have been made, not choices that you made at all. Sometimes debt comes in the form of medical expenses, injuries, something that you didn't foresee or plan on. Uh, sometimes debt comes from other tragedies. Sometimes debt is inherited. Sometimes debt uh, comes from unexpected life changes, loss of jobs, uh, relocations, being divorced or widowed, or various other aspects of debt that wasn't just a choice to fulfill a consumer desire, but uh, happened to you. Um, there's also lots of opinions on what debts are good debts, if there are good debts at all, uh, what are necessary debts, uh, is taking out school loans, is it worth it to get you where you're going to get? Uh, at what point is a mortgage more important or more wise than dumping into rents and leases? Uh, what about how important is a functional, reliable vehicle and what does it cost to get there? I know there's lots of different opinions and arguments about debts, and I just want to say today, the argument is not about that. That's not the goal of deciding which debts are right, which debts are wrong. Um, the goal of today is how are we supposed to think about debt biblically? What does scripture say about it? What does it mean to steward our financial situation in a way that is honoring God? And what do, what do we learn about debt? And then what does that look like to apply in my personal life? Uh, how would God lead us? Uh, also, we'll say that today I'm aware that there'll probably be some broad strokes and I don't know your specific stories. And so uh, I would say that uh, let's talk about this in a general concept, but it's really important to dig into what does this look like with, with my story. And that's why even after today, we've got uh, Bo and Rhonda Johnson teaching a class uh, this week and next week. And uh, I think there's about 50 of you that have signed up for it, which is amazing. Some of you didn't sign up for it, but you wanna stick around. We will set up more chairs. I can't promise you snacks, they might run out, but you can come and hang out. 
but th th what does it look like to, to actually say, this is my story and how do I dig into this? Uh, we're gonna spend these first few minutes together and we're just gonna look at debt uh, in just some general terms. Let's understand debt and the, the concepts of, of how it impacts our lives. And then we're gonna spend the rest of our time jumping into uh, biblical concepts, looking at scripture. So uh, we're gonna take a few minutes. We will get to scripture. But we're gonna take a few minutes just talking about the concept of debt in our culture, in our day and age, and then we'll dig into scripture. Um, the scripture is going to be valuable. It's going to be important. And we always want to anchor ourselves to, truth, to the truth of God's word. But when it comes to debt, um, we don't really have to look to scripture in order for us to discover it's dangerous. Like scripture is going to highlight it for us. It's going to be valuable. But uh, there's a problem in our culture uh, that is debt. And we don't have to have the Bible to point it out to us. But it does help us out in those contexts. Uh, debt is the leading cause of financial stress. And financial stress causes all types of problems. Many of you have experienced it yourself, financial stress, uh, the way that it impacts your day-to-day -day life, uh, the way that it impacts your time, your energy, financial stress. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the series, how it leads to other physical ailments, how it impacts your sleep and your productivity, how financial stress can impact uh, your weight gain or your weight loss and heart problems. Uh, it talks, it, it, it uh, impacts our mental health. It impacts our relationships with each other. It impacts marriages when there's financial stress and going down the list. It even, the, the amount of people who find themselves uh, taking their own lives because of the amount of financial debt and stress that they're facing. Uh, it is a significant problem. And our culture is pushing the bondage of debt as not only normal, but our avenue for happiness, that we can do this thing right now to get something for us and it's gonna bring some level of fulfillment. And what it's really doing is perpetuating this problem that is literally killing us, if not just damaging families, relationships, our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health, and culture is pushing this bondage as normal. And if uh, that's normal, I'd like to consider what isn't. Like, what's the other option uh, for my family, for my marriage, for my uh, relationships, for my sleep habits, my health habits, my mental habits? Like, what, what is the other option? And what is unfortunate is how much of American society has bought into the deception. I was reading all types of articles this week uh, on debt and the impacts of debt. And uh, I was on this website. And it was uh, just reporting all of the significant challenges that debt brings. And it was talking about people that have taken their own lives. And it's talking about uh, the impact that it has on, on, on mental health, on physical health, on marriages. I'm reading these paragraph after paragraph of all of the problems uh, that debt brings. And between paragraphs, like uh, there's an advertisement like happens on many of these, these websites we're reading. And this advertisement says, uh, you could, it's got these spots where you can put in some, some details. It says, put these details here for you to find a great rate on a personal loan. And I like grabbed my head and I was like, what is happening right now? I am reading an article about how debt is killing us as a society. And here's how you can sign up for it. Like right there, it's just blowing my mind. Like when would we ever be attracted to something like this. Like we're never gonna read an article that talks about all of the problems that cancer is bringing to our culture and our society and it's killing people. And if you give us some information, you can have cancer too. Like no one is excited about this, but there's something alluring about this debt about getting his personal, I was just, I, 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 the stats, I, I'm not even gonna share. I had a bunch of stats prepared for you. It's not even worth sharing. It's a huge problem and America is going the wrong direction. 
We are looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in something that is actually hurting us. It's bondage. It's, it's, it's taking a moment of pleasure and spending the rest of our lives paying for it. And it is not God's plan, it's not his desire, yet so many are falling prey to it. Lots of data I'm not gonna share with you. I did find it interesting that Americans today spend 9.58% of their disposable income on debt repayment, which is interesting to me because last week we're scratching our heads on where is this 10% that we could give to tithe gonna come from? Well, it's like we have shifted what God desired for us to give him and we are paying somebody else that same percent for what we used to have that's not satisfying us anymore. Like, I just think that there are answers of how we can make these shifts. Uh, I also noticed that um, the, it's not just a lower income requires more debt. The higher the income in America, the higher the debt. They just rise together. Because if I got a higher income, I can afford a higher mortgage. I can get a fancier car. I can take more trips. I can buy more. And, and the, the debt level increases equal to income level. That the problem isn't, I just need to make more money. The answer to our, 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 our problems, the bondage that we're walking in as Americans, is not that we need to make more money. The answer is how do, we, how do we figure out what is going on internally? What is it that's causing me to continue this routine, no matter how much money I have or don't have, that is a habit that keeps me enslaved to debt? I think a lot of us feel like, well, if I just made more money, it wouldn't be the problem. No, we will keep spending the same patterns that we have developed are gonna keep happening depending, uh, regardless of how much money we make. Um, it's a problem, it's a big problem. It's hurting us, it's hurting our families, it's hurting our mental, emotional health. Uh, and it's a problem that God knew about and he gave us instructions on how to avoid it. That when God started orchestrating, hey, here's what I'd like you to do with your money. I'd like you to be invested in something bigger than yourself. I'd like you to be kingdom-minded first. Then I'd like you to set aside portions of your income for when unexpected expenses might come. I want you to have a plan. I want you to have a budget. I want you to work it. When he gives us these directions, he was never bringing us bondage. He was always saying, I know what happens on the other side, and I care enough about you to give you some wisdom on how to handle your resources. But as humans tend to do, we think we know better. This was the problem all the way back in the garden. Yeah, I, did God really say that this was for your benefit? Well, yeah, but maybe, maybe I should try it out anyway. For some of us, we think we know better. The other portion, maybe we just actually don't know any better. The culture that we've been brought in, the examples that have been set, we haven't discovered what scripture says. And so we actually, all that we know is what is normal around us, that you get this debt, this is how, you, this is how we function. So some people, the problem isn't that we know better, the problem is that we actually don't know any better. Um, I wanna take just a minute and I wanna talk to the younger generation in here, Gen Z. Uh, let's, uh, let's say um, ages 14 to 25. Not that if there's anyone uh, younger than that in here that it doesn't apply to you. But uh, these are the ages where you're starting to start getting your first job. Maybe you've got a little bit of income. Maybe you're babysitting all the way up to you're in college. This is where uh, most uh, debt begins to accumulate for the first time, whether it's uh, you can finally get that credit card and you can buy some stuff that you don't have to pay for now. Uh, maybe it's the student loans that uh, it gives me a, a way to live and an education right now and I don't have to pay for it right now so those dollars don't seem as real to me yet. Uh, or uh, it's, it's getting your first car and a car loan. This is kind of where debt begins to be introduced in this, era, in this age frame um, and, and how you're handling money responsibly for the first time. Uh, I wanna say that uh, it doesn't matter, this, 
these principles that we're talking about and debt specifically, this is not a concept for later when you have a career, when you have money, when you got a consistent paycheck, uh, regardless of how much you're bringing in right now or what your, your income or career status is right now, that you are making decisions today and creating patterns today that are gonna impact the rest of your life. There are decisions being made today on debt loads that are going to impact you for decades that you'll carry into your future. You may be carrying into a future marriage. Uh, you are making decisions today that will impact you in the future and not just those decisions, but you are creating patterns in how you are handling your resources that are gonna be the normal for the rest of your life. Uh, student loan debt specifically, it is currently the, the fastest growing debt in America and uh, it is second in total amount only to mortgages. And, uh, and it is something that, that follows you for the rest of your days until you get that paid off. I was just actually talking to Bo and Rhonda who are teaching the class later today, and they, they just let me know that uh, student loans are the only loans that do not get canceled by bankruptcy because students would pile up student loans, get out of college, file bankruptcy, and say, I'm not paying for it. So even bankruptcy, you always have to pay these back. Student loans follow you for the rest of your life. Uh, I was reading some data this week, and over $27 billion in student loans are still owed by people over the age of 70. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> Now, I got some questions of how resources have been handled over the last several years, but $27 billion still owed by people over 70. That that decision back then to provide a certain lifestyle, it doesn't just go away when you get a job. Like you, there is decisions that are being made that will follow you the rest of your life. Now, this isn't about uh, an argument for or against student loans. I think there's a, a, an understanding that you need to have and what, what, where are you going and what is wise for you. And I think you need to talk to people that are a lot better at finances than I am, go to Bo and Rhonda's class. Uh, the, the argument isn't for or against them, but the reality that decisions that are being made today, they're impacting your future. Um, we're gonna throw this graphic up on the screen here. And uh, it's a little bit hard to read for those of you that are further back because we can only use half a screen in here. Uh, but this is, uh, this is gonna show you the power of interest and this graphic is gonna show you in a positive light. Now the goal today is not talking about how do we end up making a lot of money? How do we become millionaires? This is not about uh, becoming rich, but this is gonna show us the power of interest. And what I want us to consider is we'll look at it in a positive light, but then we're gonna flip the script and view it in a negative light. Uh, this is from Dave Ramsey's website. Uh, if you don't know Dave Ramsey, financial guru, lots of great information. Um, this is a story uh, about two guys, two buddies, one's named Jack, one name's Blake. If you're a Dave Ramsey person, they used to have different names. I don't know what happened. New people, they changed names. It's a story about Jack and Blake. And uh, this is gonna talk about interest, this interest right here. Uh, is an average interest rate that is just below the long-term growth rate of the S&P 500, which I don't know what that means. Uh, Dave Ramsey said it, I copied and pasted it. <laughs> Maybe you know, but uh, it's just below whatever that is. Uh, that rate is actually somewhere between 10 and 11%. What I do understand is uh, it goes up and down all the time, but over a long span of time, the average has been between 10 and 11%. And this is a conservative uh, just below that rate over a long course of time. So what we see up here is a guy named Jack and a guy named Blake. Uh, Jack is yellow, Blake is orange. And what Jack does is uh, at age 21, Get this, young people. Age 21, he starts investing $200 a month, which uh, for a young college student, I'm not saying that's nothing. That's, that, that's sacrificing something. You can do a lot with $200 a month, but he chooses to, at age 21, start putting $200 a month into an investment. 
And he does this every month for nine straight years. So until he's 30 years old. So over the course of nine years, he contributes $21,600, which again, that's a significant amount of money for a young person. I understand that. But then he stops. He does it for nine years, $21,000, and uh, stops, and then allows that to continue to build interest. And at 68 years old, when he's ready to cash in, that $21,600 has turned into $2.35 million. And he invested for nine years a total of $21,000. $2.35 million. Um, that's a lot. That's, just, that's shocking. $21,000 from ages 21 to 30 can do a lot for you. You can have some fun times. You can go uh, get the food. You can eat, get the drinks. You can go out to the concerts. You can have the car. You can, you can do some stuff with $21,000. You can do a lot more with $2.35 million when you're older, and you can be generous, and you can invest in your family. You can invest in what God's doing. You can, there's, there's a lot of generosity that can come at the cost of $21,000 over the course of time. It's the power of interest. Uh, Blake, his buddy, catches wind of what Jack's doing. So he starts doing the same thing, but he starts when Jack stopped. At 30 years old, he's like, okay, I've got a job, I got a career, I have 200 bucks a month that I can start investing. He starts putting the same $200 a month. He starts at the age 30 and does it for 38 years. He does it not just nine years, he does it for the full 38 years until he's 68. So his total contributions are $91,200. The value of that investment at 68 years old is 1.38 million, which is nothing to, to be too uh, disturbed about. If you're 30, it's not too late to start. 1.38 still seems significant. Uh, but he, he invests way more over a longer period of time and is still a million dollars short of what his buddy did between ages 21 and 30. If you are older than 30 and you have someone younger than 30 right now next to you, would you shake them and say, please, please, please do what we didn't have the foresight to do? Uh, and again, I'm not saying that that is, is nothing, that $200, uh, it's a sacrifice. Um, but what it can do over the course of time is significant. Now, the goal is not just how do we get rich in the future. Uh, there is wisdom that God brings. But I want us to consider the power of interest. That is at about 10 to 11%. And the other side, which is the point that we're talking about today, is when we are on not the positive side of interest, we're on the negative side. Credit card debt today is at about 19%. Double that. Someone else is getting to do that with our payments every month. You look at auto loans right now. I was looking at auto loans right now. Uh, six to 12%, depending on uh, your credit score. If you have poor credit and you're getting a used car, it just crossed 20% interest for a new vehicle. Uh, you start looking at what these debts are accumulating for you. Um, that loan is costing us a whole lot more than what our monthly payment is. If you consider that $200 going into an investment and being wise with it and following God's principles of making a plan and, and investing for the days ahead where you don't know what's coming, uh, it can do a lot for you. Or it can be doing a lot for somebody else, for the man that we can't stand that is putting us in this bondage. No, we're putting ourselves in bondage. We're giving them the ability to get the wealth and put us in bondage. The interest works the other way as well. And when we think about it, that car loan or whatever debt we wanna say, it doesn't just cost you that 200 bucks a month. Or right now it's $577 is the average payment on a new car in America. It's not just costing us that every month for something that's losing 60% of its value in the first five years, it's actually costing us $2.35 million later. That's a pretty expensive car. 
It's not your monthly payment. It's stealing what God's design for us to plan ahead was gonna set us up to be able to be generous, to be able to do all these biblical concepts we're just about to dig into. He was smart, he knows us, he's wise, and yet we feel like what I want now is gonna satisfy me when he has something so much better for us. Debt is dangerous and it's not getting us to the way that God would call us to. So um, there's a lot to talk about on debt and principles for it. I'm not gonna be Dave Ramsey or Bo and Rhonda Johnson. Uh, you can go to their class. And again, today, if you didn't sign up, we got extra chairs we can pull in there. Uh, they're gonna be talking about how to manage debt specifically. Uh, it's gonna be one of the concepts, uh, something called a debt snowball. If you don't have time to stay here today, just type in debt snowball and get to work. It's important, it's valuable. Um, but let's get biblical. Let's get biblical, biblical. I wanna get You're my guy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Six points biblically I wanna talk about on debt. We're gonna cruise through these. And, uh, and I hope that um, not just informationally, but biblically we're inspired and, and called to how do I be more responsible and go to war to, to steward well what God has entrusted with us. Let's look at six biblical concepts. Number one, debt is a form of slavery. I've used this language already today, but Proverbs 22, seven says this, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt is a form of slavery. That it can portray itself as uh, something shiny and new that's gonna make me happy, but what seems like something that's gonna make me happy in the moment is actually putting me in bondage. It's robbing me of what, what is God's best for me in the future, and it's putting me in, in bondage. I think um, a simple concept we should take away from today is don't intentionally put yourself into slavery. We're tricked, we're fooled, that you can just have this, get it now, pay for it later, and it is putting us not just into a bad financial situation, but it is bondage, it's slavery. The borrower is slave to the lender. Debt is a form of slavery. Number two, debt prevents rest. Debt prevents rest. We did a whole sermon on rest, but I just want to take a couple simple thoughts out of this. Uh, two verses I want to share. Psalms 127.2 says, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to the ones that he loves. That part of God's plan is that, yes, we work. It's a part of stewardship. You're going to hear that in these next two weeks, that working is a part of stewarding. But he says, I want you to work well, and I want you to rest well. Uh, that rest is a part of his plans, that we would, we'd work hard enough that there would be a season where I don't have to work because there, aren't, uh, there isn't more debt to pay. Genesis 2 says it this way, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day that he rested from all of his work of creation. That the one day that God declares as holy is not the day that he produced the most, but where he rested. We look at scripture, God is... Um, really serious about rest, rhythms, Sabbath. He, he, he's a big, big proponent of work hard and then rest well. Like he wants us to experience seasons of rest. And he says, you're not at your holiest when you just keep going hard and you just produce more and more and more. He's like, you're, what is holy is when you are faithful to work and then you have enough contentment to not need to work 
on that day you could take off, but you can rely on the previous work to fulfill you in the season where it is time to rest and it's time to enjoy Sabbath, the presence of God, the people around you, the creation that he's put around us. He takes it really seriously. When he talks to Israelites, he says 10% to, to, to the temple, 10% to yourself for savings. He's saying specifically, I want you to plan ahead to take the vacation. He says, I want you to plan, I want you to set aside this money so that at these certain times of the year, you can travel and you can go to these festivals and you can see family and you can see friends and you can feast and you're taking these seasons off where you just are enjoying life and you can only do this if you have worked well and there aren't debts that have to be continue to be paid for and work for, you can plan ahead and you can rest. God's plan was that we would be able to go on the vacation, to have the time to be with family, to enjoy what he has created around us. But debt uh, makes it hard to do that. Debt makes us work extra hours, take a second job, do a side hustle in our spare hours to spend more of our time and our emotional energy and our planning on how we're going to get this done instead of enjoying what God has called us to do and given us the ability to do. Um, that he wants us to rest. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm talking about being content, being thoughtful, planning ahead, and being able to rest. And without debt, the opportunity to rest gets a little easier. It needs contentment if we're gonna rest and restraining from debt. If we don't have either of these two things, we're just gonna keep grinding. But if we've got contentment, like sure, I could go to work, I could make that money, but I'm content. I don't need that for myself. I'm content, I will rest, I will enjoy. And if we're in debt, we have to keep grinding because there's a bill to pay. There is the bondage that needs to be paid off. But if we can keep free from debt and we can find contentment, there is space now to rest. Number three, debt is often a short-sighted way of living. I put often, because again, there's some debts that were not our, our consumer desires. Um, but debt is often a short-sighted way of living. Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning, and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning, AKA a budget, and hard work, sticking with it, resisting the urge to spend unnecessarily or outside the boundaries, having a good plan and working hard, it leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I think uh, an application of a hasty shortcut is that credit card. It's that loan. It's that I, I could just get this quick now. I don't have to plan ahead. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to save. I don't have to resist my flesh. I can just give into it. Hasty shortcut leads us to poverty. What we're doing with debt is we're borrowing against our future selves for immediate gratification. We're actually the ones that are paying for it so much more down the road to get what we want today. It's short-sighted. It's not God's best. It's not God's plan. Number four, some unexpected debts can be mitigated by a good plan. I really believe that um, of these eight messages, really dealing with greed and making a plan are probably the most significant because it's really hard for these other ones to, to have lasting value if we're still dealing with greed and we don't have a plan. Um, can be mitigated by a good plan. Proverbs 22.3 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. Sees what could happen, are we preparing for it? Are we getting ready for it in case something bad happens? Uh, and, but the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. The prudent person foresees, hey, this could happen. Are we ready for this? Are we preparing? Are we thinking ahead? Are we making a plan? 
Uh, but the one who says, ah, well, if it happens, it happens, we'll deal with it. When it gets here, it says that they're going to suffer the consequences. We already looked at Proverbs 6, 6, where uh, it says, look to the ant, you sluggard, and become wise. Though it has no king, no leader forcing it to save away, it is not eating 100% of what it brings in. It's, it's sustaining itself, and it's putting, its, putting some aside so that they're going to survive the winter. Again, he tells us, look at the ant. The ant is doing better than you. Uh, this is humiliating, but it's true. The ants are saying, I could eat all of this. And if winter comes, we'll figure it out then. But wisdom says there may be a difficult time in the future. So I'm going to start preparing ahead of time. I'm not going to consume everything. It's not going to be paycheck to paycheck. I'm going to follow biblical principles and store some aside so that when the inevitable happens, uh, I don't have to suffer the consequences. We've taken the precautions. This can look a lot of different ways in today's day and age. Uh, savings accounts, emergency funds, uh, investigating what the proper insurances you should be paying for are, health savings accounts, etc. can look like all difference. But what it is, is living off of less than you make for a long period of time and looking at wis- principles of wisdom and biblical principles of what to do with the remaining. Number five, gratitude is an antidote to debt. Gratitude is an antidote to debt. We talked extensively about this uh, in greed and contentment, so we're not gonna take much time on it right now. Um, But we often go into debt. Not always, but often we go into debt because of envy, because of comparison, because of the social pressures, because of our own image. Isn't it amazing when we get a new car, we think everyone notices it, and maybe they don't. (laughs) It's just another car on the road. But image, lack of contentment, Oftentimes we go into debt. How many times has it been this one? I just deserve it. I've worked hard. It's been a tough week. I'm emotionally drained and I think this purchase will make me feel better and I deserve it. But when we're thankful, when we're grateful, when we're content, we won't sacrifice our financial stability for temporary satisfactions. Gratitude is an antidote to debt. What's it look like that when we feel like we want more, I choose gratitude. Choose generosity. What if when that urge is coming up inside of me, like I feel like I deserve this, I feel like compared to them, I should get, I should get a little more ahead, I should get something newer, I should, what if that was just a trigger for us to say, no, 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 I'm choosing gratitude. I don't need to go down this road of bondage and slavery. I can just choose, God, thank you for what I do have. Thank you that this vehicle is still working. Thank you that, uh, that I do have a roof over my head. Thank you that I did get to eat today. Thank you that I have a wardrobe of clothes that, that fit. Like, I'm, I'm grateful. Like, thank you for what I do have. What if it was a trigger for gratitude instead of trying to satisfy something inside of us that's actually leading us into more bondage? Gratitude is an antidote to debt. And finally, number six, six faith can keep us from debt. Faith can keep us from debt. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus is talking extensively about finances in his Sermon on the Mount. And I'll just pull out this excerpt from his conversation to the people. He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries Today's trouble is enough for today. He says, um, it's the unbelievers who don't know that they have a loving father that function this way. He says, but you have a loving father, a heavenly father who knows your needs 
And so what I want you to do, Jesus says, is seek his kingdom first. Not your kingdom. Seek his kingdom first. And he's going to provide everything that you need. Now, I want to be careful as we've already done in this series. It doesn't mean that seek him first and he's just going to give you tons of money. Everything you need is not money. If money is our bondage, if money is what is causing more greed, it's not money that answers the, 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 the question here. Everything we need is found when we seek him first. What if it was just his presence that fulfilled everything that we feel like we need? So when we seek him first, we're gonna have everything we need. But I do think what he gives us is not just resources, but sometimes everything that we need is the physical ability. Sometimes it's the mental ability. Sometimes it's a job, it's an opportunity, it's a relationship, it's wisdom, it's discipline. It's not just more money. It's managing well what he's entrusted to us because we know him, because we have a father that we're acquainted with and we get his, his heart and his direction and his love for us. And we find everything that we need, even if we don't get a pay raise, even if we don't get a new job, even if the bank account isn't climbing, we have found our souls, have found everything that they need in relationship with the Father. The unbeliever chases after the things of this world to satisfy what only right standing with God can do. It is faith. It is knowing our Father and His provision that he, He's aware and He's with us and His direction He gives us is going to, to be a blessing and a benefit to our lives. And we have faith in His principles over fulfilling my desires today. Last place that I want to, to look at is Romans chapter 13. In Romans 13, um, Paul's talking uh, a lot about resources. The first six verses, he's talking about obeying the government and paying taxes and a lot of other fun stuff that we like to look at. Um, but I'm gonna jump into verse seven as he's already talking about resources. And he says this, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe anyone anything for any reason, any amount, it says give it back, pay your debts. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Verse eight, owe nothing to anyone. Again, this is a caution from debt, like pay your debts, try not to get into debt, owe nothing to anyone except for the obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Some translations say, make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So Paul starts talking about finances and debt, don't pay your debts, don't owe anyone anything. And then he certainly talks about some other categories of fleshly desires that are not just financial. But he does highlight coveting and he highlights jealousy and he's already talked about debt. 
So not uh, negating all the other aspects that this text is talking about, but for our study here today on debt, Paul is just talking about not giving any provision for the desires of the flesh. Again, amongst other desires of the flesh. He's like, hey, don't, don't let your standard be the flesh gets what the flesh wants. Whether it's sin or it's our finances, he's like, make it a habit that you do not let the flesh take charge of your decisions. Make no provisions for the desires of the flesh, but instead, he says, put on the presence of Jesus Christ. Brooke and Spencer, if you guys want to come up. His antidote. It's like, don't do this stuff. Like, it's, 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 it's a problem. What I want you to do instead is not just financial disciplines, although we find these in Scripture, and there is so much wisdom in financial disciplines, but what Paul is saying is instead of doing those things, instead, put on the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning it's not a big leap to say the answer to our problem with debt is found in the presence of Jesus. That it's not just that we find his love and his gospel and his affection, which we absolutely do and we cannot bypass. But when we experience the presence of Jesus Christ, he has everything we need, not just for salvation, but for godly living, for honoring him in every aspect of life, including how we honor him with what he's entrusted to us. It's found not just in teachings and informations and budgets and strategies. It is ultimately found when we are people of his presence. So absolutely, let's learn some disciplines with our resources. But more than that, let's be people that are consistently going to the presence of Jesus, clothing ourselves in his presence. As odd as it might sound, what would it look like to invite the presence of Jesus into the very moment where you're about to swipe the card, click the button, sign the document? What's it look like to pause and say, no, no, this is, this is not just a financial transaction between me and a vendor getting something that I desire. This is actually a spiritual moment. And I wanna invite the presence of Jesus into this moment, no matter how big or how small, what's it look like to say, am I giving the desires of the flesh or am I stewarding well what God has given me? And the answer is found in Jesus, you're in this moment. You're not distant, you're not just there on Sunday mornings when I go to church, you're with me now. What's it look like to invite the presence of Jesus into this very moment? In the grocery store, at Best Buy, when you're searching online, when you got that shopping cart full and you're about to, you're about to what does it look like to say, Jesus, I wanna honor you. I'm actually gonna take a moment to worship experience your presence in this moment. Asking the questions, Jesus, am I looking for a purchase to fulfill something inside of me that only you can? Am I, am I settling for temporary fulfillment when you have something so much better? What if I seek your kingdom first and I have everything that I need and it's not found in this purchase, this debt is found in you? What if in those moments we ask ourselves, am I putting myself in slavery? When Jesus, biblical principles have something so much better. What if the urge to buy became a holy reminder to worship? What if that feeling was just like what my soul actually needs right now is worship. I need the presence of Jesus. 
It doesn't mean that we don't get to continue to live life and we don't purchase anything. It's like, what, what am I looking for in this moment? Jesus, you are all that satisfies. How do we be a people of his presence, even in our purchasing? If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? We are, we're gonna transition to communion. If you brought, if you have those elements with you, you can grab those. I wanna say that as we take communion, it's one of the most tangible moments where we can express and participate in saying, Jesus, I'm focusing on who you are, on what you've done. And when we take communion, what we're saying is like, Jesus, my confidence, my hope, my faith is in what you did on that cross through your death and resurrection, that your body was broken, that your blood was poured out. And my confidence isn't in what I do. My confidence is in who you are and what you've done. Communion is saying, Jesus, you are my source. You are my savior. You are my satisfaction. It's reminding ourselves that we are not gonna look anywhere else to be our savior, our source, our satisfaction. It's found in Jesus alone. That as we take communion, it is, it's a moment of saying, Jesus, I'm clothing myself in you. Like I'm choosing that you are my covering. You are my hope. Looking beyond this specific application of communion to the broad beauty of the gospel. That what Jesus did is he paid our debt. Like this is, this is the most beautiful thing we could talk about when we talk about debt. Is that my sin, your sin, the wages of it, the debt of it is eternal separation from God. It's what we should be spending eternity, paying the debt of our sin. But Jesus covered that debt. He paid it, not just temporarily, he paid it eternally and is preparing a house for us in heaven. He's preparing an eternal place for us, which is so much better than any earthly retirement. We can look at the charts and we can have wisdom. Let's not get into debt. Let's let it work, interest work in our favor. But what we consider is what Jesus already did for us is he not only has covered the debt that we've accumulated, but he has got this interest rate growing for us that is so much better than $2.35 million or whatever number we can put on it. It is eternity in the presence of God where there is no more need, no more tears, no more pain. This is, this is the debt that has been paid and the future that we behold. And so we come to Jesus saying, we're so grateful that you have paid the debt. Yes, we want to be responsible with what resources we have today, but what matters more is that we are recipients of the gospel. The debt has been paid, and then we spend our days being responsible with what he's entrusted to us, knowing that our eternal hope, our blessed hope, is his presence for eternity. As we worship, sing this last song before we dismiss, I want to encourage you to take communion. Um, maybe this is just a moment reflecting by yourself. Maybe you're here with family or somebody else and you want to take a moment to pray and do this together. But Lord, um, we're so grateful for your sacrifice. And as we take communion, this is not just walking through a, a ritual that 
has no meaning or is just kind of what religious people do. This is a moment of saying, Jesus, we are looking to you. You are our source. You are our savior. You did for us what we could not do on our own, that you paid the debt, that you have an inheritance of eternity in your presence. And that is where our hope resides, that there is nothing else that we could long for, that our flesh may want in this world, but our soul is satisfied with you. God, I pray in this moment, before we go back out into the world and there is all the voices and advertisements and pressure and, and image issues that right now we just choose this moment to be people of your presence. God, would you stir inside of us that when there's a fleshly desire for more, our, the voice of your Holy Spirit and our soul would cry out that no, I'm a person of his presence, that we seek you in these moments. So fathers, we take communion as we have these last few moments of worship corporately together. Uh, we look to you. Would your spirit do something uh, internally in our hearts and our souls that, that words and songs can't do, but your Holy Spirit does. We just welcome you to do that in our hearts. We worship you. We love you.